If you have an interest in horses and love learning more about horses, the horse industry, teaching, or even managing your own horse business, then you're in the right place. We would love you to join us on our mission, which is to improve the lives of horses around the world through the education of riders, handlers, and trainers. So get comfortable, listen in, and enjoy. Today's chat's been brought to you by International Horse College. We have a mission to improve the welfare of horses throughout the world through the safe education of riders, handlers and trainers and that's what these chats are all about. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Now today we're going to have a repeat guest and I say repeat because John is just about losing count I think but every time he comes on he makes logical progressive steps in the training of the horse. So I think we're on to chat number 10, and today we're going to talk about 10 things to remember about proofing the riding aids. And we're going to take the horse from the round yard, where we've done, you know, the last lot of the training, to open spaces in walk, trot and canter. So anyway, Jonna, how are you? <laughs> very, very good, Glennis, and yourself. Yes, yeah. I can't remember how many we're up to, but I think it is about 10. Well, I just think, you know, each time you do, you're just bringing the horse forward and you know, I think if you just keep going over these checkpoints with your horse that you keep talking about and keep saying, right, well, we've got that lesson and, and don't be afraid to go back over them and repeat the lessons if need by because, you know, you'll often do that. So I think that's the first bit, isn't it, is just because I know you'll say this, you know, you want your stop, go, back, park and yield. Is that right? Exactly. You know, because you start off with that. Yeah, yeah, once they're taught, you go back, you remind that you don't say, oh, yeah, the horse knows them. You go back and you check. Yep. That's exactly right, Glennis. That's exactly right. And, and and really the reason you do that is you'd never presume that the horse knows. You should mm -hmm. always check. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Good, good. Is there any reason that a horse would all of a sudden, that's been going well all the way, right from the very foal, they've learnt to stop, go back, park and yield, they're obedient, they've always been obedient, they might be up, you know, three, four-year-old, and all of a sudden there's a problem. Is there anything that would bring that on? Yes, there is, Glennis, and these things can be quite variable in the cause, and it's really sometimes really hard to find out what the cause is. For example, the cause might even be something to do with the horse's development. So it might be an air, it might be, you know, really coming into estrus for the very first time very strongly, or it could be... An environmental um, change, for example, a paddock change or a feed change. Um, could oh, it also be thinking along the lines of maybe the handler has changed or the routine has changed. So mm -hmm, mm -hmm. we have to be careful. Yeah, that's good to know, Jonna. And I can see now why you go back and keep going back over the previous work. The self-carriage, is that important as well, you know, going over the self-carriage status? Well, that is really your benchmark as to how well or how deeply you've trained something. So it's a really good yardstick to find out, yes, the horse does know the answer, but to what degree does it know the answer? And so all these things, as we go through the training scale, it helps us understand the depth of the training. So that's why it's really important to be able to understand the sequence of events that we're going to do or through the training plan. So it means that then we're able to get a bit of a thermometer as to where the horse is at in this present circumstance. And getting back to your previous question, I think the only thing that I should also add is that if a horse um, 
for example, has been going really, really well, and then all of a sudden you find that it's having a, a really off day, something may have happened to it in the paddock that you don't know anything about. It may have had a fright, it might have been chased by a dog, or even under riding it may have had a quite a scary incident. And see, these things, if they're really adrenalizing to the horse and very, very frightful, then the horse is always going to be a little bit on edge because, remember, that's what it's programmed to do. It has to be on the alert for any danger, and every time the circumstances vaguely look like they did when the danger occurred, they will react accordingly. So it's quite interesting. Mm, mm, mm. I'm sure we could have a, a chat just about that alone, you know, about type of circumstances. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Now, all of these, first of all, just correct me if I'm wrong, are done in hand, and then we repeat and consolidate them all under saddle. Am I following you right there? Yeah, that's, that's correct. And really, the role of the stuff, uh, all the groundwork is really to make sure that the horse understands what these pressures mean and that it was able to understand it from the very beginning of the pressure. So the very light cue that you give as a precedence to applying more pressure with the rein or with uh, a tapping of the whip or, or whatever you're doing, it's to help you understand that the horse is onto it immediately at the time of the signal. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, we talk about the round yard, and I don't know if we brought this up, the size round yard you use, is it a standard 20 metre or do you use a bigger one for young horses? What size do you normally use or what size can we tell people if they're thinking about building a brand new million, you know, millions, I should say, of dollars equestrian centre? What's an ideal size round yard for a young horse? Yeah, and then the other question is too, Bernice, do we build a square yard or do we build a round yard? And look, mm. my preference is, and it's a personal one totally, is that I don't like square yards because it's really hard to get flow in a square yard and sometimes the horse can get a little confused in the corner. Okay. And I don't like small yards. I like bigger yards. Again, that's a personal preference. And as I've got older, I've come to believe that the size of the yard that you use, if your groundwork is really good and all the other signals are going well, then there should be really not much pressure on the facility at all from the horse because otherwise you probably shouldn't be on it. Mm -hmm. So if you need great facilities in terms of really high walls or or really padded yards, then you're probably missing the point here and we need to go back a step and find out what's going wrong. So as I've gone on, like for example, the the horses that I'm doing at the moment, I'm doing five horses at the moment, and they're all being broken in, in a full-size indoor. So that's not even a ran yard. That's a 20 by 60 indoor. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Good, good. Now, what should we, because we talk about going into the round yard, and the main thing here is to go from the round yard to open spaces, but what should we be doing within the round yard before we even think about going out? Yes. A good question. So from the round yard or from the area that you feel safe enough to work with your horse, and it's all about that. It's about not what I think. It's about what everybody's level of their own safety is and their capability and the horse's capability in that situation. So when we're in the round yard, for example, if I had a uh, round yard and I had to build another round yard, I would like my round yard to be at least 15 metres across because then maybe if the horse is able enough and balanced enough, I could probably practice some canter in there. But Mm -hmm. I don't see that as absolutely necessary. But getting back to your original question, which is what should I be doing in the round yard and over and above checking all your basic responses and making sure that they are obedient. So now 
as we'll talk about in a moment, um, being able to understand the, the scale of training where we go from one point to another point and what defines each one is that we need to be able to um, have our horse to be able to understand that, for example, mounting, whether it be on the ground or from a mounting block, is so good the horse almost invites you onto his back. There okay. isn't really any um, any area uh, in the mounting process that should make you feel as if you need to hold the rein because if you're holding the rein, you're not really training your mobility. You have to have a very, very light contact and almost dare the horse to move. And then if he does move, then quietly put his foot back to where he came from so you're actually training him to park. That's the first issue. And the next one is then when we do depart, really making sure that we don't ride off straight away, that there's no direct connection between mounting and departing. And there's a lot of horses um, get that very, very wrong. And, of course, the thoroughbreds are a classic one because they never, ever stand still to be mounted because the, the jockeys and the truck riders are legged on while the horse is moving. So they've never learnt that, a lot of them. So that's the very first part we want to do with those horses. So in our round yard, Chintley, we've got immobility um, and that our groundwork is really good and he's standing quite comfortably. So the mounting block, we place our foot in the stirrup iron and without disrupting the um, symmetry of the saddle, we're able to place ourselves into the saddle, give him a scratch, get ourselves comfortable, make sure our stirrup length is, uh, is, is fine, our girth is fine, everything seems exactly as it normally as, as it would be, as you'd expect it to be. And the very first thing that I would do um, with a horse that is fairly naive to this process is then ask him, what does it mean when I apply both reins? Now, I would have already done this on the ground where my hands would be, mimicking my groundwork as if my hands are in the riding position, so above his wither, and then I would squeeze the rein, and at that time when I squeeze the rein, I would expect that he takes a step back straight away. That okay. tells me that should anything happen, I'm actually checking that my braking system is is absolutely a one because if anything goes wrong it nearly always occurs in a forward process in other words the horse tries stepping forward rushing forward in some sort of way and the only thing that will correct that is to make sure that our stop button is really good and we've had some fairly recent repetition to that so then they're readily available to the horse because he's only been asked that question you know a minute or two ago so then the next one is obviously when i apply my leg do I get a response from my leg? Was it immediate from my leg? Did he continue moving from my leg? Uh, in other words, if I asked him to walk on, did he continue walking without me having to reapply my leg? So I'm looking at the degree of the self-carriage state from my leg. And then the next one is, can you go exactly, can I make your legs go exactly where your eyes are? And then finally, can I not only just make your legs go where your eyes are going, but then can I start to change whereabouts in the round yard I ride? Close to the fence, not so far from the fence. So on an inner track, on a circle, can I change the rain? Does the change of rain, the turn system, does that affect the, uh, the speed or the tempo of my walk? In which case, I need to examine that because turners should have nothing to do with with, uh, should have no consequence on your walk tempo. And in the beginning, of course, it does. So you may have to just squeeze the rein lightly for a step when the leg is about to leave the ground and then release it when it comes forward, as we talked about in our groundwork before, and then the same to the left rein. And then I can check that the left rein and the right rein 
has actually no impact on my walk tempo at all and I can change the rain without disrupting the self-carriage state of my Ford and that's a really important one. Then I just simply apply that to trot and then if I am feeling that the horse is able to do more than that, then I will actually say, can you go from trot to walk and then can you go to halt? Yes, Mm -hmm. you can. Good boy, that's good. And then I can go from halt to walk and then to trot again. So slowly but surely, I'm starting to make my transitions one after the other with the aim of being able to skip one of the gates, in this case, it'll be walk. So ultimately, I know that things are going very well when I can go from halt to trot and then to halt again and vice versa. And that they actually happen um, with really no delay off the signal. And you'll always find when you skip a gate, there's always a little delay off the signal. And as I said before, the opportunity to train your horse exists when there is a delay. And that's why I'm doing this, to try and uncover if there is a delay, because if there is a delay, I've got more work to do. Mm-hmm. And I like the way that you said, you know, you're talking about obviously the self-carriage status of each pace. Tell us again, just for someone who may not have heard previous chats with you, self-carriage, just a little bit of an overview about self-carriage and what we're looking for there. The self-carriage state is simply that the horse is doing all the work and you don't have to do anything. It's a really, really simple concept. And when I I ask hundreds and hundreds of riders about their definitions of self-carriage and and they are generally fairly obliged to tell me about what the activity of the hind legs are doing and how the back feels, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. We have to keep things much simpler than that for our horse training. It's simply that the horse is um, doing what we want and it has occurred from an aid, I think that's singular, from an aid, and it will keep keep doing that until we tell it not to. So, for example, walking on is the best one. So we apply one leg aid to walk, and the horse simply walks at the tempo that we've described, and it will keep doing that because then if what occurs, if the horse starts to slow down and the rider doesn't notice it, then we accidentally training our horse to be lazy and then he'll be labelled thus. Mm-hmm. And and that's a it's a training issue. It's it's not a it's not a genetic issue. Okay, okay. Now I really liked just the comment that you made before about there being no direct connection to mounting and departing. So mm. you know, and and that's just something you said and just goes, Oh, yeah, well of course it's not. But you know, the way you said it made a lot of sense. Um, if your horse has stood for a while, if you do walk on and they depart, you know, what do we do? How long, you know, at this stage we're talking about a horse just remaining obedient to the aids. What if you stand still for a while? You know, what are we looking for here about time concept, time proofing? Yeah, 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 and that's right. And and what you just said at the end there, that's really what we're doing with time proofing. Mm-hmm. And what we mean by time proofing, and this is different to an off-the-track horse, of course, because this horse is so naive about parking there when the rider is on board, we have to train that from the beginning. So we only may ask for five seconds of immobility or maybe even two seconds of immobility and then move on because we know full well that if we make him stand for any longer, he'll get really scared and then in halt. It's a fairly dangerous place to be because the horse has a greater option of what he should do as an evasion. He could go backwards, he could go up. He could turn left, 
he could go straight or he could turn right. Mm-hmm. So whereas if we're going forward, nearly every evasion will be something similar to that. So it's a little bit easier for us to predict as a rider. But we don't want to be going into that place anyway because the horse simply doesn't understand the question. So from an off-the-track horse, we would slowly but surely put our aid on for halt and then maybe only expect two seconds and then move on again and get really good at that two-second time frame. And then the horse will start to offer it and start to say, oh, would you like me to halt now? And when they start to anticipate the aid, that's the perfect time to say, yes, well, actually, we can stand here now for four or five seconds or maybe even longer, 10 seconds, and give him a good scratch. Mm -hmm. And then say, well, that was a really good session, and then dismount. But our horse has already learnt that, and you'll find that with the horses that understand the groundwork clearly and and the progressive nature of training, they don't ever have any trouble. I've never, ever had any trouble with a horse standing still. They just absolutely love it because it's their opportunity to be able to recharge their batteries. So that's probably the easiest thing. Um, however, when you take them out of context and you put them in a different context, then that might change as well. And, of course, we have to gear what we ask of the horse according to a realistic expectation, taking into account the context. Okay, okay. Now, I just want to re-examine this self-carriage that we've talked about self-carriage. What about if you change, I mean, if the horse ready at this stage for changing the tempo, just increasing, decreasing, what happens there? Just talk to us about this young horse who at the moment hasn't been out of the round yard and is about to go out of the round yard into an open space. So we've gone out of the round yard and things have been going really well in the round yard. We've even had a few periods where in the round yard, and this is normal for all young horses, they tend to try and get a little bit sluggish in the round yard. And the temptation is to say, well, he doesn't like the round yard. I'll just ride him out. When in fact, it's actually a really good opportunity to say, no, you have to stay in the tempo that I described. And I do want it in self-carriage. And then it's much safer to go out mm-hmm. because otherwise we're just saying that in this context, it's fine to be lazy when really that's not what we want from our horse at all. So when we go out, of course, everything is much more stimulating now. And as I've said in my notes to you, that we really want to make sure that we're riding our horse. That that area is reasonably familiar. He's done groundwork. He's done leading all through there. This is not an unknown place. Okay. And so because it's fairly familiar, the red means the only context now is there's somebody on you, not somebody beside you. Mm -hmm. And if you feel as a rider, you don't want to change that context either and you would like to have somebody walking beside you. Well, there's nothing wrong with that at all because, after all, that has been the context right up until now, all riding out with a nice, quiet horse. So expect that there will be some pressure upon your self-carriage state. Expect that there will be some delay off your aid. Expect that there will be some deviations to line according to the environmental pressures, etc. Okay, okay. Now, when a horse rides out, do they go out by themselves with another horse? What sort of situation would it be when the horse does ride out? Glenn, to be completely honest, and 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 um, from my experience, I have hardly ever taken out my horses for their first ride out with another horse. However, mm-hmm. I have done that for other people, and it has gone well. But nearly every time I've done that, the horse that I'm riding has gone much better than the horse I'm riding beside. <laughs> because the horse that is going beside me may not be as well trained as my horse. And up until now, 
our horse has done everything correctly. That's why we're riding out. Whereas this other horse might have just be tagging along, may not be that accustomed to the context. So nearly always I ride out by myself. And if I do go with another horse, I nearly always insist that I go first. And what that's doing um, is saying, okay, the world's a little bit scary. Your friend is just beside you, but slightly behind you. But I need you to go past through this uh, gateway or around this corner by yourself. Because what I'm trying to find out then is how well does my horse listen to the signals that I've trained on the ground and under saddle in this circumstance? Because if I'd like to find out about it, I'd like to find out it sooner rather than later. Okay. Okay, okay. I'm just thinking, you know, you like to just keep it simple and I appreciate that. It's simple, the steps are small. Yep. Stop. I need to interrupt this chat for a hot-off-the-press notification. That is, that the latest version of the book, 101 Careers in the Horse Industry, is now available and the best news is that it's a free download. So if you work in the horse industry... If you have a plan to work in the horse industry and have a career in the horse industry, or if you know someone who plans to have a career in this fabulous industry, then this is an essential book for you to read now and then keep as a reference as you progress through your career. With over 100 jobs to choose from, you'll probably find at least one that you'd happily do without being paid. So simply go to internationalhorsecollege.com, scroll down to the bottom of the page and click on the 101 careers in the horse industry button to receive your free career book imagine maybe one day you could be a guest on horse chats yeah so you know just tell us a little bit about riding out a little bit beyond the yard somewhere that they're familiar with yep so let's say that we're riding down the um riding down the driveway or we're riding down the uh, track towards the arena, yep. and I may have chosen to have another horse beside me, and that's everybody's choice, and that's fine. I don't have a problem with that at all because at the end of the day, it's all about how well we set this up. If we set this up really well and we can get 10 to 20 rides in a row that are really, really calm and really obedient and really reliable, then we've set up the foundation for one probably the best horse you've ever sat on every time. Okay. Okay. And, and it's just amazing because, you know, it's, it's a portrait we've created from the beginning. So we're riding down the track, and as we come around the corner, something may have occurred. Like, for example, somebody might have mowed the lawn, and there's lawn clippings on the driveway, and the horse hasn't seen lawn clippings on the driveway, or there's been a recent rain, and a part of the road is washed out. And my horse is a little reluctant to go there, and I feel by the amount of pressure I'm having to put on him that it's probably not a good place or a good um, time for me to train him to do that task. So then I will use the horse that's beside me to say, okay, why don't you go over it first and I'll follow you. Okay. So I'll use the horse as a lead, use that horse as a lead horse, and I've done this with other people's horses. And then I've turned around and said, now can I get my horse to come back over that area again and let the horse on the other side of the obstacle, whatever it is, whether it be a creek or water or, or, or a different change in surface, and then I'll say, now ride back towards the other horse. And, of course, then it's easy. He's riding towards another horse. So, again, I'm setting this up so it works really well without me having to use, I say, unrealistic or an obscene or a, a ridiculous amount of pressure. When we have to use ridiculous amounts of pressure, we've missed the point. It's just, it's, you know, it's 
it's cruel. It's just mm-hmm. not right. Mm-hmm. It doesn't need to be done. Yep, yep. So if we're out and we're, you know, we're asking the horse the questions, we should really keep them easier than, say, if they were in the yard, if, particularly if the horse is not quite understanding what we're asking. Is that right? Exactly. And even to the point, and this is what I say to people, don't ever be afraid to dismount and do groundwork over the patch and do that three or four times. Check that you can stop, check that you can go, check that you can go back for every part of that obstacle and repeat that three times, then jump on and ride it and the horse will just do it. Okay, So, uh, you know, once again, you're falling back on the stuff that you already know. So Mm -hmm. we've already got those tools in our cabinet that we can use um, at any time and they've been recently examined and um, the horse has given us the correct answer on the ground. And then the context is only one. Now the context is now can you do that obstacle with me on your back and not beside you? So it becomes a really simple question. I do this for all my water training or obstacle training, stepping up banks, stepping down banks, et cetera, et cetera. You know, the more easily the horse can read the question, the more calmly it will do it and the less likely you have flight. Therefore, the baggage in the future is, is eliminated. Yep, yep. I just want to go over a couple of my notes here, John. I know that you've said, you know, the KISS principle, K-I-S-S, keep it simple, silly or or other things. Now, if we're going to ride out, we've got to choose the best time and it's got to be with appropriate company. So we don't just want any horse. It's got to be the right horse because, as you said, it's no point if your horse is the best behaved and it's almost, yeah, we really want the, the company to ride out with appropriate. That's right. Yep, yep. Okay. It does need to be appropriate, and and, and probably for the um, horse trainers and horse breakers and and people that are listening to this, what will probably be the most frequent circumstance, and they'll all be able to relate to this. You'll have a horse, and and it's going along really, really well under saddle and in hand. It's being really quite good, and now it's time to try and get the owner on board. So then, what we usually suggest is, I'll ride the young horse that I'm training for you. You ride your horse, your school horse, out with me and then we'll swap. That's Mm -hmm. usually the way that it goes. When the horse is going really well, you swap over. Well, that will work and it often does work really, really well. However, if the other horse that you've gone with doesn't go so well, then you're almost safer putting the the owner, if they ride really well and they can keep their aids really clear um, on the breaker or on the young naive horse, uh, the young horse, and you riding on the other horse and getting that one under control so it's less infectious to the other horse. And that I can't tell you how many times that's happened to me. So <laughs> the horse that we're taking out, which yep. is tend to be the challenge, ends up being the horse that is the best. Mm, mm, mm. Okay. Now, what about time-wise if your horse is relaxed or the horse is getting uptight and upset? Is there a length of time there? Yeah, look, the, the probably the most easy way to describe this is that the horses that are tense expend energy and resistance and therefore the amount of time you've learning window that you've got is vastly reduced. It's pretty much 70% slashed off it. So mm-hmm. if let's say a normal training period, a normal training time frame might be 30 minutes to 45 minutes and the horse is tense, you will probably... Um, if you take 70% off that, you'll probably really only have 10 effective minutes on the tense horse because he's wasting all his energy and resistance. He's really sweaty. He's getting really upset. And no learning is taking place except for practicing tension. And yep. there's, there's, there's no point in that. So getting back to the relaxed horse, though, 
now that he's putting all his energy into responding to you, and they're off really clear, simple, single signals as well, that he will just go and then pop in a trot and then stay there and trot, you'll be able to ride that horse um, for quite a long period of time because now you're not so much training him to do anything specific such as respond to an aid. You're more getting him accustomed to circumstances now that you're on his back. Mm-hmm. And that's nowhere near as taxing as training a new a new response. Okay, good, good. Now, you've said with the tense horse that we should never be afraid to dismount and do groundwork, and I'm presuming that's the same if we're out. You know, you've said that all the way through when we're first riding the horse and right through the lessons in the round yard is doesn't matter. You know, dismount, do some groundwork. So I'm presuming that's the same here. It's exactly the same. The other day, it was only three days ago, I was doing a clinic and there was a horse that didn't understand the question about stepping up banks. So mm-hmm. I got there and he tried he tried to step up the banks, but he kept banging his foot into the face of the bank, stopping and banging his leg into the face of the bank. So he didn't quite understand the question. Whereas when I led him up and I was able to say, now lead up to this and keeping his pole fairly low so he could see where his feet were and walking in a nice tempo towards the bank, he got it right first go. Mm-hmm. And Horses that tend to walk in a tempo, in cruise control, with their head fairly low, are really capable of placing their feet very accurately as they do in the loading processes. So it means that then I could then go through that two or three times and then I just jumped on and did it. And then after that, I never had to get off that horse ever again to train it to go up a bank or down a bank. Good, good. Now, I know that you talk about the Holy Grail as a self-carriage state. Tell us about the progressive training pyramid because you've talked about that a little bit, but we haven't sort of gone over that much. We've got, you know, or the scale or the training plan. You tell me, yeah, what the steps are because they're a little bit different to the German training scale, aren't they? They are a little bit different, but if you look at all training scales, you'll see that they actually fit into the training pyramid mm-hmm. really quite well anyway. Like they have a place in there, but from a scientific point of view, we're not talking about a feeling or an image. We're actually talking about things that can be that can be you know uh, calculated and and predictable, and um, the outcomes can be can be uh, extrapolated from the results. So you know that's the great thing about um, being able to have something that's fairly methodical. So in the beginning, we call it just a basic response where the horse vaguely understands the question, and probably the best example of that is let's say you're asking your horse to go backwards for the first time and you you have a bridle on, you have the reins in your left hand, you're standing on the near side facing his bottom, you apply pressure without moving your legs and ask him to move his legs backwards. And he doesn't. All he does is just lean against your hand, and then after about a second or so, he moves one foot back an inch or two. Then he basically understands it. Mm -hmm. However, if we can then... Say the instant that leg moved and is now in a new position um, backwards from the other front leg and we've released that pressure of the rein the instant the leg has touched the ground, then he's much more likely to connect that that's what he has to do. So basically a basic response is he vaguely gets the idea, but what we're really chasing here is an immediate response and we call that obedient. And obedient is when at the time of a signal, the horse does the action. And this is where 90% of my work comes from, is really making sure that the things are obedient, whether it be lateral work or whether it be going into water or whether it be just trotting up the centre line or it be just going out for a ride. 
is that nearly always the very first casualty of a horse that is either going to become dangerous or difficult to ride or or as um, people saying that he's not suited to whatever it is that he's doing, it nearly the first casualty is obedience. So it's, a, it's a probably the most important one to get right in the beginning. And then after that, we have rhythm and we have straightness. So rhythm, of course, is a recurring beat. But I don't tend to use the word rhythm much. I tend to use the word tempo because tempo now, the beat is now measured against time. So there's two factors. He repeats the trot or repeating the walk. And now, what is the speed of the walk? In other words, how fast or how slow is it? And that's what we mean by tempo. And then pretty much at the same time here, the things that follow on from that is straightness. Is it how straight can he be? And I'm a real stickler for this, how straight horses can be, because that's one of the things that's primarily tested in in, um, dressage. And, of course, tension to the bit, always one of the first casualties is straightness because the horse tries to duck around to the bit to the left or to the right with his hind quarter or his front end or falls in or falls out. So that's it. Uh, next one after rhythm, then straightness. Then how well does he go straight? And of course, the whole time I'm striving for the self-carriage state of my rhythm. Then I want the self-carriage state of my straightness. So now I've got him not just basically responding to me, but he's that obedient that he'll go straight in a tempo that I select all by himself, which is self-carriage. Now I'm really starting to feel the potential of my horse now because the next thing that I'm going to be able to feel and be able to establish that now my connection in terms of contact, not just with the reins either, is that the connection with the bit is really nice and fluid and light. And I never really ever get a chance to apply great amounts of pressure with my rein because as I apply the rein aid, the horse does it. So I'm actually rewarding him for doing the action at the same time. So in fact, the transition is now on the same contact level of pressure as my riding was before the transition. And then your horse is truly becoming an extension of your body. But I also apply that same concept from the leg as well. So, you know, really making sure that the amount of uh, weight that you have with your legs or your seat, it's just there. It's, it's not applying any pressure, but it's just there. It's like keeping in touch. So I call it my internet. So the reason I call it my internet is because if there is no pressure at all and the rain is loose, then there is no internet and you can't send a a mild or a very light signal. And it's the same with your leg in the seat. If you can't sit still enough, there's too much background noise for your horse to be able to hear you with your seat or your leg. And that's really the essence. Now we've got to this point, our job is to sit so still and really make sure that we're allowing the horse to move as much as we possibly can without hindering it with rough riding with our seat or our legs or our rein. And now the horse can hear the tiniest little messages that we send, whether it be our left leg, our right leg, or our seat or our rein. And then we can really say, okay, I think that is pretty fantastic. Now we head towards proof, and that's the final one. And that's probably one of the most difficult ones to, to really ultimately say that you've got it because you don't, one never knows. So you're always pursuing this, mm-hmm. especially as an event rider. You don't know what context will cause your horse to change, what jump it will be, or what environment it will be. And proof is, now can I do all these things anywhere and everywhere? So, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a terrific journey. It really is on <laughs> every single horse. It's just, it's amazing me. I, I could never stop doing what I'm doing. So, 
um, because I find it really fascinating and very humbling, actually, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and I think we've got to talk a little bit later on. I th- you know, it's not just that you – we've been talking a lot about young horses here, but it's not just young horses you work with. You know, you're working with a lot of ser- – well, you're working with race horses and but serious competition yeah. riders as well, and as a competition rider yourself, yeah. Well, that's right, and, and see, everybody has their own story, and I always ask them that, you know, after I introduce myself and ask them about their horse if I don't know them. But if I do know them, I would just, uh, the very first thing that I ask is, how have things been going? And what are you enjoying most about your horse? And what is it you would like help with today? Mm-hmm. And from that little rundown that they give me, that gives me a fairly good idea, not just to where to start, but maybe there may be some, uh, or that there's probably likely to be a, a sentence or a, a couple of words in there that will make me think, hmm, okay, this isn't this isn't exactly what I thought um, he would be doing to that. Let's have a look at that. So you get to re-examine it. And, and again, it's a journey. I, I mean, none of us are claiming to say that we know everything there is to know about horses because there is so much. But what we all we can do is say, okay, well, let's go back a step and find out what he does know. Let's find out how well he knows that. And then we'll apply it to a different circumstance. And then we can really isolate whether it's the circumstance or the context or the way the aid is being delivered as to what the causes of those resistances might be. Yeah, I'm just thinking about the way that the aid is being delivered because you always talk about the blending of opposites, you know, so we're trying to avoid, even if it's accidental, the blending of opposites like using the rein and the leg at the same time. Yes, and not using the rein and the leg at the same time is a very difficult concept for most people to get hold of because blending will come later. Mm-hmm. For example, when we start doing half path, for example, we are using our rein systems and we are using our leg systems. But people are in way too much of a hurry to be blending, and when they are blending, the consequence is nearly always forward. And if you look at most people's dressage tests, the most common reason as to why they're not getting 60% is because their horses aren't going well enough. And they're not going well enough because they're trying to do too many things. Mm-hmm. So if we simplify it all and go back and revisit all the basics to the, the criteria that I've outlined, you'll be able to take it apart and find out what the weakest links are. It's not that difficult at all. And then the horse will be able to say, oh, now you would like me to listen to the rain aid to make my shoulder go left, but you'd also like my hindquarter to go left as well and my eyes to be left as well in half pass, for example. So blending will definitely come later, but we don't really want to be in too much of a hurry to do it because the first consequence, as I said, will be um, some of the uh, qualities of the basic signals. Yep, yep, yep. Okay, brought us back again to the keeping it simple. Just thinking about it before we finish off, though, at the end of our ride, and we want to evaluate how the ride out, so the horse has gone out, some of the work might have been great, some might have been good, yep. some might have been below average. So what can we do to get the whole ride better and not the without the below average bits? Yeah, and this is another thing that people aren't very good at doing and, and probably the major reason is horses remember pretty much everything that happens to them that's scary, mm-hmm. but they also preserve those times and experiences that have no pressure and really quite pleasurable and they get to relax and they associate that. So we can capitalise on that as long as we remember as well as our horse does. And people don't people miss things. And yet the horse is highly alert and highly observant. 
and he's storing these things away in his library. And he doesn't have to have all these things in the back of his mind in life that we worry about. He's a, a much more simpler creature that is determined by uh, simpler things. So these files that he puts away in our ride means that sometimes things will go well and maybe not. And that is our time for us to say, where did he not understand what I was trying to do? And what do I think the causes were? And you may try and evaluate that and you may try to put your finger on it and say, well, you know, maybe I wasn't riding that well through there or I accidentally touched him with my whip or or the other horse bumped into him and distracted him, whatever it was. But really the key part is go back and make sure the next time you ride the horse again and you take him back on the exact road and see whether that area is in fact fine or there is actually some work to do there. So you're making sure you leave no stone unturned. And I put a lot of emphasis on this because especially for those event riders that are listening, if you don't cover every single little, uh, not necessarily resistance, but uh, a question the horse doesn't understand clearly and he doesn't do it as well as you want, then that little lump in the carpet will haunt you later and probably haunt you in competition. So it pays to be really thorough, replicate what he's going to see. And that's what I really try to say to people that are building cross countries, you know, people are saying, oh, what sort of jumps would we build? And really you want to build mini three-star courses. You want to have all the visual effects of all those lovely big jumps, for example, but they're just really, really small versions. So then the only context of change is really the height. And that's, that's what we'd like to do. So every time we have a ride not quite right there, he doesn't like going down through this area and through the exit. It's a bit dark and a bit scary. Okay. And he's a bit hesitant to go through there. So maybe how can I make this more pleasant for him so he's not so scared of it? I might need to take another horse. I might need to have somebody come with me on a ride. Or maybe I could just dismount there and hang out for a while, do a bit of groundwork, make it really pleasurable, give him a bit of a pick of grass or whatever you'd like, and keep his relaxed state or his arousal state really low, and then come back and then ride it. But again, making sure that we cover it and remembering where we had those little issues, rather than saying, well, we went for a ride out yesterday, that was great, today we're doing dressage, tomorrow doing show jumping, and the day after that we're doing fitness, and the day after that, well, um, I've got to go shopping so you can have a day off. <laughs> and you'll never ever, and that's what we do. Mm. We, we do that, we, we're, not, we're not methodical enough in, in what we do. And remembering the thing that I'm trying to get through to the listeners, you, you need to be a little bit paranoid because all the things you miss will come and haunt you in competition. Yes, yes, yep, yep. John, I think even though we're talking about bringing on young horses and taking them with this time from the round yard to open spaces, a lot of the things you talk about are really relevant to people with their competition horses, with their more advanced horses, with their problem horses. And I think there's just so many lessons. Uh, I love it when you come and have a chat because, you know, my horse sort of I'm looking at different things for him the next morning when I go out and ride. So, <laughs> so you know, it's good for me too to have that chat. And, you know, people that I'm teaching, I start, you know, just to, to bring in a little bit of this philosophy. So for people that would like to contact you, you don't just work with young horses. You work with all sorts of horses and all sorts of riders. What's the best way to contact you? There's a couple of ways. Um, the first way is I've got a, a Facebook page, which is called Train to Win, mm-hmm. um, the Train to Win Facebook page. And the other one is just my um, email as well. They can drop me an email on um, johnamclean at gmail.com. So it's J-O-N-N-A-M-C-L-E-A-N at gmail.com. And they can do that. 
And with my Facebook page, I'm now I'm making sure that all my clinical organisers um, and all their contact details are on that so people can say, oh, well, I'm in Western Australia, so I'll contact this person or I'm in Hobart, I need to contact that person. And um, if there's any queries or questions, I think the most common thing that I get is, um, John, don't you take on horses anymore? And look, I would if I was home, but I'm just away so much. You know, nearly every Thursday, Friday, oh, sorry, every sometimes Thursday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday, I'm away. Um, and it's only now that I'm starting to do midweek things as well. So having a horse um, of my own at home in work is an absolute impossibility, let alone doing somebody else's. Sure, sure. All right, Jonah, wonderful to talk to you, and um, we should catch up again soon. And I'm looking forward now to getting that horse, you know, a little bit more riding in open spaces and looking forward to the next thing that we're going to do with it. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Maybe, Glennis, we need to think about what we'd like to do with this young horse because now we've got a horse that is very tractable and and reliable out, Mm -hmm. and now we need to think about um, how do we know what his future is? How do we determine all those things? Because there are always big questions as well. Yes, yes. Okay, so is that what we're going to chat about next time? Mm, if we if we'd like to, yeah, I think yeah. that'd be good. Let's that, work out really what good. we should do with this horse and do some exploring. For sure. And if people do have questions, Jonna, they can contact us through Horse Chats and uh, we can ask questions, yep. specific questions to you within Great. the chat as well. All right, good to talk to you, Jonna, and we'll catch up soon. I look forward to it next time. Thanks, Glennis. Bye. Bye. If you've enjoyed this chat, then please comment, rate and subscribe. If you'd like any changes or recommendations for guests, then please contact us through horsechats.com. And while you're online, have a look at the government accredited courses at internationalhorsecollege.com. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Remember that our comments and instructions are general in nature and do not take into consideration your individual horses, or your individual ability and circumstances. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave your comment below.